Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. For a period of 450 years following their return to the good land, judges ruled over Israel. These judges were supported by the priests of the Aaronic priesthood, but the situation had grossly deteriorated and even the priesthood had waned. God's reaction was to raise up a new priest with a new priesthood. This one was Samuel, a man that was completely one with God, so much so that it could be said of him that his being was like a photocopy of God's own heart. Through Samuel, not only was the priesthood uplifted and restored, but the prophethood was ushered in along with the kingship. And these things allowed God a way eventually to bring forth Christ, the ultimate blessing, not only to Israel, but to the whole earth. How the Lord needs such ones to be utterly one with him in this age, to turn this age so that Christ could come again. Ron Kangas has joined us for our fellowship on the book of 1 Samuel. Good to have you back, Ron. Uh, good to be back. And as I was enjoying your opening word, I was just impressed, even inspired. If this will be the focal point of the program in our fellowship today, we have something marvelous really in so. store for us. Yeah. And according to my understanding of this portion of the word and in light of my preparation to participate in the program, I agree with you in seeing this view of Samuel and how this relates to God's economy with the turning of the age and how it applies to us today. So I really look forward to what the Spirit will bring forth through the ministry of the Word and through our fellowship in the Lord. Amen. Chapter 7, a chapter that Witness Lee categorized the beautiful section of the history of Samuel where he had successfully been able to turn the heart of the people back to the Lord, and they secured the ark, and it was in a safe place, and then they repented and turned back. Quite a lovely, marvelous picture here at the height of his ministry. This chapter, chapter 8, where we come today, brings us now to three things that Samuel was really raised up to accomplish. We mentioned them in this opening. Firstly, a proper priest. Secondly, the prophethood. And there was, uh, coming from a period where the word of Jehovah was rare to a point where There was really one who was able to speak forth Jehovah to the people and affect their hearts. Now we come to the third matter, and that is of the kingship. And the way it is introduced may be a little bit surprising. We'll see today it comes in in kind of a negative way. But ultimately, of course, uh, this is something very much in God's heart and in his economy. Samuel, at the end of his ministry, at the end of his uh, priesthood, was turning over or attempting to some of the responsibility to his sons. But he, who had been so pure, so much after God's heart, that same heart was not found in his sons, and they were corrupt. We see this in uh, chapter 8, the first few verses. Now, when Samuel was old, he made his sons judges over Israel. But his sons did not follow in his ways, but turned aside after unjust gain and took bribes and perverted justice. 
Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, and they said to him, You are now old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint now for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So here's their request. They reject his sons who probably deserve to be rejected. But they're asking for a king like all the nations had a king was something that did not please either Samuel. And we'll find out today it also did not please the Lord. If we continue the reading here a little bit, verses 6 and 7. But the matter displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Then Samuel prayed to Jehovah, and Jehovah said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people according to all that they have said to you. For it is not you whom they have rejected, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Really interesting passage, isn't it, Ron? Very interesting and very significant. All right, let's join Winnesley, and then we'll get a chance to fellowship on this. We come to the ending of Samuel's ministry. His sons did not follow in his way. Sorry, the sons didn't go the father's way. They went after unjust gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Could you believe? They were born of such a father. They were seeing how he acted in a pure way, in the most just way, yet they didn't follow the father. Giving the children of Israel a cause to ask Samuel to appoint a king to judge them like all the nations by asking him to appoint a king to judge them the people of Israel displeased Samuel Samuel did not like to see that God's elect would reject God as their king You know, from the first generation of the human race, man did this. Rejected God as their head, as their king, as their husband. He also did not like to see that God's elect would follow the way of the nations. Israel was chosen by God to be a particular people on this earth. They should be absolutely different in every aspect from the nations. Yet, they took the way to follow the nations by rejecting God. The people of Israel also offended God by rejecting him as their king for a replacement. They asked for a replacement, a man to be their king to be their husband, to be their head. Actually, God is the king of the people of Israel. 12.12 says so. Asking for a king equals rejecting God for a replacement. This is a great wickedness, a great evil in the sight of God. Ron, interesting story, but there's a perplexing component here. Certainly in the revelation we've seen and what we're going to see in the days ahead, this matter of the kingship is vitally, crucially important to God in the carrying out of his economy. He needed the kingship. But here, the way it is initiated by the people asking for it, as we just heard, and in God's own words to Samuel later, 
in his eyes, they're asking for a king was a kind of a rejection of him. How do we reconcile these two things? I think I understand the basic matter, but I dare not say I understand in full. One crucial matter related to God, as far as we, his people, are concerned, is that we honor him as our unique source, as the only legitimate initiator. Mm -hmm. For God to initiate the appointing and anointing of a king is one thing. This is God carrying out his good pleasure, doing his perfect will for his eternal purpose. Another matter we see related to this is that the enemy acts ahead of God. Way back in Genesis, the serpent took some initiative. Then God comes in after the enemy has done something. Right. The failure of Samuel's sons to walk in their father's ways and their sinful and unjust doings gave the ground for this natural fallen impulse in the people to want a king. And their request for a king originated from them, and it was tantamount to rejecting God as being the king. They were not asking for a king to represent God. They, in fact, were asking for a king to replace God. That's indicated by the fact they wanted to be like the nations. At that time, did the kings of the nations represent God? Were they God's appointed and anointed ones? Surely not. Right. So the crux of the matter, I think, is that the people initiated this for their own purpose, and in so doing, they manifested their rebellion against God, their rejection of God, their refusal to be subject to God as their head, their husband, and their king. So we have something illegitimate in the sight of God in asking for a king. But the fact that the request of the people was wrong in the sight of God does not mean that God himself may not want a king. He wants a king for his economy. He wants a king who will represent him, not, of course, replace him. So we may say in the realm of what he permits, his permissive will, Mm -hmm. God allowed the people to have their preference. And we'll see the issue of that when the people got what they wanted. Then God comes in initiating the appointing and anointing of a king according to his own heart. Right. Both Samuel and David the king in the word were those designated as according to or after God's heart. So we need to have some discernment here and to recognize whatever we initiate, especially if it's revolutionary change affecting administration or government, is displeasing to God. If the Lord God is our king, if we honor him as our king, our head, our husband, then we will not dare or presume to initiate anything We will bring everything to him, just as Samuel did when he prayed. He brought the matter to God, 
He didn't answer out from himself. If the Lord is our king, experientially and practically, we will not initiate anything. We will not invent or devise anything. We will let him initiate. And if he wants a king, let there be a king. But we don't want the king of our preference. We want the king of God's choice. In this case, it's David typifying Christ as the real David. In the section ahead, Ron, here we see the children of Israel rejecting, and what manifested the rejecting was this key factor you pointed out, the fact they wanted to be like the nations. This oftentimes reflects our own heart. We want to be able to live like they do from time to time. And so there's an application here that shouldn't be missed on us. We're talking about these kind of big picture things and God's move with Israel and his mighty move in his economy through the ages. But it gets very uh, direct and applicable to our own daily life, doesn't it? It does. This desire is expressed in our preference for leaders. And we want our leader to be a big us, to be the ideal person, the person we want to be. So Saul, we will see, was a head taller than the others He was a magnificent person according to the flesh. He was the people's ideal. And so our preferences when it comes to leadership are fallen. They are just an exhibition of our desire to have something for ourselves and our refusal to be ruled by God. How we need God's mercy in his salvation. How we need to be enlightened through the ministry that opens up this portion of the book of Samuel. I suppose there's much more ahead, huh? Yeah, quite a bit. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Today, dear saints, the principle still remains the same. It is not a matter to do good or to do bad, to do the right things or to do the wrong things, but it is matter whether we take God as our king or we reject him. Even the small things you have to know, in small, detailed matters, quite often we take the replacement rather than God himself. Quite often among the couples, there might be exchange of word, you see right, I see wrong, how to settle the problem. The only way to settle is, okay, let us stop and coming to our king, coming to our head. I am the husband, yet I don't exercise my headship. Rather, I would go with my wife to our husband to see what our husband, the very God, our king, our authority, our head, would say. What he would say, we take. Then this settles the problem, and this maintains always a good marriage life. We like to hear him this only way. Ron, I think his illustration uh, pretty much is, makes the point, but it is a sweet point. And you and I are both married, and I know in my uh, married life there have been times when in the midst of words being exchanged, if we had just both stopped and both got on our knees before the Lord and heard his word, what a sweet picture that would be. 
Yes, and I can testify. It's becoming this. We are not setting aside Paul's word in Ephesians 5 about the male headship or 1 Corinthians 11. No. The question is how to apply it. Since the husband is the head, and now the husband and the wife are having a dispute, who should take the lead to turn to the Lord? Who should take the lead to head it up? Right. The brother, the husband, should recognize, yes, I am the head, but as the head, I need to contact the head. The head of every man is Christ. I need to contact him, and I need to contact him with my dear wife so that he, the real head, will apply his rule, his headship, his kingship to our situation. Then we have the the genuine and proper exercise of headship. But this is very different from a man being in the flesh, rejecting God as his king, wanting to be the king in his house, right? Right. This is the principle of the people wanting another king. Actually, that's a usurping of the word regarding headship, that a man just takes it in himself and applies it for himself. He himself is not headed up by Christ. So I love this very sweet application uh, born out of a lot of experience in human life and married life to settle the disputes by going together, man and wife, to the king and listening to his word, submitting to him, being one with him, and being one with one another in him. Well, I like where we're going in our last segment today. You mentioned it earlier on, and uh, we're coming back to Samuel now. And the fact that he was one who turned the age, but the way in which Jehovah turned the age through him is really what we want to touch in this last segment. Chapter 2, verse 35, the Lord said, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he will go before my anointed continually. Speaking surely there of Samuel. Let's go back to Witness Lee for this last segment. Samuel didn't do anything rebelling. His kind of turning of the age was not a revolution. It was altogether a matter of the divine revelation. He came out to behave, to work, to minister, to serve, altogether by very nice way of revelation. He did everything according to what he saw, the revelation. And he was a man, don't forget, according to God's heart. And this man himself was a revelation because he was a photo of God's heart. He was a duplicate copy of God's heart. He didn't do any kind of rebellion. Not like today. Now, Samuel, as the last judge, terminated judgeship, and as the new priest brought in the kingship with the strengthening of the uplifted prophethood, in which Samuel was established as the first prophet. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul counted Samuel as the first priest. This means that God had put aside the old priesthood. God replaced it with uplifted prophethood to speak God's word to his people 
and the kingship to rule over God's people from God. Amen. Hallelujah. Such a condition, such a situation has built up among God's people through Samuel. Amen. This is too great. So Samuel was the second to Moses to set up a kind of a governmental administration situation in God's economy that God can fulfill his promises. That is to have limit of genealogy to bring Christ to this earth. Ron, to hear these words, the impression we get is so much more than just to have an admiration for a great figure of the Old Testament. Here was one who was associated with and is even identified in the New Testament. I looked up a couple of verses in Acts. He was right there with Moses identified as being the real priest, the real prophet, the real judge, and one who enabled God to move in his economy. What a picture. A picture of a man who became the embodiment of the revelation he received. The picture of a man who never rebelled, even in the midst of a corrupted situation that God himself prophetically that he would judge and remove. The picture of a man who never did something for himself. He himself, Samuel, was fully subjected to the Lord as the Lord. He did nothing by the way of revolution to force a change. He did everything by the way of revelation. And the application of that revelation was, we may say, revolutionary in a proper sense, in that the application of the revelation enabled the Lord through Samuel to change the age, to bring in an administrative governmental change for the carrying out of God's economy. We know and we will see that Saul disobeyed God and was thrust aside David was appointed and anointed even while Saul himself was still outwardly and officially the king. But David did not become king through revolution. He became king through the revelation brought in by Samuel. God wants to do momentous things. He wants to end the age of grace, bring in the age of the kingdom, This will not be brought in by revolution. This will be brought in by revelation constituted into those who, by the Lord's grace, are not only according to his heart, but are a reproduction of his heart. These ones will be the dispensational instrument through which the Lord, according to his revelation, will change the age. We should not have a superstitious concept about the coming of the Lord. The Lord will come according to all the prophecies. However, there must be in the principle of incarnation, the principle of God working with man, there must be some ones on the earth, today's Samuel, even a corporate corporate Samuel, who have the revelation from the word of God, who are one with the Lord as their king, whose heart is a reproduction of his heart, and who can be used by him as the instrument to end this age and to bring the king, the real David, our Lord Jesus Christ, 
back to the earth. He is the one appointed and anointed by God to rule. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. We want him to come, and he wants us, in a very real sense, to bring him back by being one with him, even as Samuel was one with him. This is just some of the light and some of the application available to us through this precious, opened section of the Word of God. Praise the King. We rejoice the Lord is King. Come, King Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. As always, I appreciate very much your fellowship. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Well, we strongly encourage you to contact us so that you can get this printed life study volume that includes both First and Second Samuel. You can find out how to receive it if you'll call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. To discover more of what Living Stream has to offer, please visit ministrybooks.org. From there, you'll be able to read over 600 titles by Witness Lee and Watchman Nee online and free of charge. Again, the website, ministrybooks.org. Thanks for listening today.